All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 19. We're going to read from there today. And uh, today I want to talk about victory and strength and weakness. I think that uh, we like to talk a lot about victory, but sometimes our greatest victories come in the midst of our greatest trials. And uh, in my life, God's had a habit of doing that. And it just exaggerates the victory part when it happens, you know. Sometimes I wish the victory would come without the trial, but uh, many, many times we find ourselves so... If you're in trouble today, this word's for you. (laughs) In whatever way you're in trouble. And there's a thousand ways to be that way, right? So, Lord, we just thank you. And I just pray bless us as I speak it. And I pray a great spirit of encouragement would come on us today as a result of listening to what I have to say and what you gave us for today. Amen. So I'm going to start reading from uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 19. It's a humorous story in some ways, but a very dramatic story in other ways, and uh, I think extremely, extremely relevant, even though the historical characters are different, the disease is a little weird, and the other things in it, but uh, nevertheless, I think we can see ourselves in this context quite easily. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now, the king of Aram and the king of Israel have been at war for a long time, constantly having these little wars back and forth along the border, skirmishes, where, you know, they would come in and steal and pillage for a while, then Israel would go up and chase them back and do this, and it had been going on for a long time. He was a great man in the sight of his master, this Naaman was, and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a violent, valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, it's interesting to me, even there. I pray God someday would bring that kind of prophetic anointing on the church where everybody knows like where the resident prophets lie, you know? where the anointing is. Maybe churches could become like, they go to that church and you'll get a word. that God's going to tell you about what you need to know, right? So why not? I think that's where we're headed. I think that's where we've been in some respects. More so every year, I think. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Lots of money. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now this Naaman just wasn't anybody. He was really high up, right? He was a warrior. He was a very, very powerful man. So you have to remember that as we go through this story. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? So he thinks the guy's just picking a fight with him, right? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Man, I tell you what, I can't wait to uh, the church to grow to that space. You know, you need some help? Well, come see us, right? Whether it's healing or a word or an insight. I think that's where the Lord's maturing the body of Christ. And I say maturing because it's going to take a little bit to hold that, that to have that kind of power. But I, I believe we're rapidly moving in that direction. 
And, uh, and I don't think that we should despair, you know, of the times of the lions and the bears, because there will be a time when we'll be slaying the Goliaths. And, um, and more and more, uh, as time goes on, in a world that's quickly deteriorating, I think the supernaturalness of God is going to be more and more manifest. And guess who he's going to use to do it? He's going to, he's going to manifest signs in the sky. He's going to manifest signs in his people. People that are raised up, and not just one prophetic voice, but many, many prophetic voices, many people, not just prophetic, but many people who can heal their neighbor, who can pray for them. In other words, if they think you're from that church, or if they believe you're a Christian, I believe there will be a day when people come and seek you out because you're a believer, because we've become so well known for miracles and signs of wonders. I think that's the voice that uh, God's taking us toward. That's, that will be uh, where God takes the entire body of Christ. So we might as well get used to it, right? kind of get in the hang of it, right? So it's so easy to leave these stories, you know, with a great man of God of the past, a great prophet, even today, you know, a great person with a great reputation. I think there'll be a time when there'll be lots of people, lots of reputations, but especially the church as a whole. As we begin to read this, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. I love this story so much. A lot, you can just see it happening, right? Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. Now, I've been to the Jordan. Anybody been to the Jordan, you know? Well, it's, it's not like a crystal clean, pure, beautiful, like mountain lake. It's kind of nasty. <laughs> and it totally offended this guy. <laughs> but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. And now it's funny. Like for us, we're going, how am I even connecting with this story? Because ancient people and many peoples around the earth, it might surprise you who haven't traveled around, the world has a, a supernatural worldview. still does. Millions upon millions, a majority of the world's population are not secular humanists like our culture. They have a, a view toward the supernatural. That's why whenever something supernatural happens in one of these countries, they go crazy. That's why we've had so much success in so many countries. We just come in and just start he healing people. And, uh, and that just freaks them all out. And they give you know, their life to the Lord. And I've told you many of the stories. And one of my greatest trips we ever took, and a couple of you were on this, is I, we gathered all of our key leaders from uh, around India and uh, together one spot by key. We have 30,000 churches, but there were in that group, in that number, a number of the ones that led whole districts full of churches. So there's about 30 of them. And just giant uh, pieces of humanity that they actually look after and pray over and send missionaries into and everything. And so we wanted to, we just sort of, I just sort of had this question. I said, well, how many of you raised someone from the dead? Now, usually you would say that with a bunch of pastors, you know, especially just 30 of them, and they would all like be sitting there, you know, and everybody's looking around going, why in the world did he ask that question? Well, it turns out there were seven of them, seven of them that stood up and then gave their testimony. It was like shocking. So you can imagine in a place like India that is so difficult with Muslims and Hindus and radicalized people everywhere and very people very, very, very emotional about their religion going into these territories and stuff, you can just imagine, you know, what that's like, and the warfare, and the, the, the persecution and stuff. But I'll tell you what, when someone gets raised from the dead, uh, no problem. <laughs> hey, buddy, come on in. Hey, come to my house, you know. <laughs> so that's how the world's being won, by the way, yeah. with miracles 
that dramatic and also other miracles, of course, of healing and uh, demonstrations of great power. So he says, uh, but Naaman went away and angry and said, I thought that the, the, the man of God would surely just come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my lepers. He had a, a view of how God was going to work. That's something that uh, maybe just along the way is really kind of important. You have this severe problem, whatever it is, and I'm sure there's more than one person has a severe problem here. And so you've got your ideas of how God should do this or how God would do that. And uh, one thing that I had happened to me when I was a young, uh, young man, I still feel like I'm young, but anyway, when I was <laughs> younger, you know, right at the beginning of my journey, I just got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And uh, this prophetic guy came up to me and he says, you know, you're going to have a whole life full of uh, ministry uh, and signs and miracles, and you're always going to uh, see the Lord come in the back door. Well, I didn't have any idea what in the heck he was talking about in the back door. But I looked across my life and I realized I've been coming in the back door for an awfully long time. Just in the, <laughs> I mean, all kinds of things. How I got in the ministry, I was in medical school, and then this and this and this. I just kept coming through the back door. I keep doing it. In the countries and places, I just go in a space that doesn't look like it's God or doesn't look like, you know, there's room for me or space. And so, uh, so this words, Prophetic words are very powerful yes. in your life and describes what the Lord's doing, you know. And, and uh, are not Abana and Far Far, Far Par, I'm sorry, Far Par, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He's just mad. <laughs> He's playing with me. He's telling me to go dip in this water. You know, I don't want to do that. Naaman's servants went to him and said, you know, my father... If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then would he, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. <laughs> oh my goodness. The name and all its attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now, this is where the church is going. This is where, you know, and it takes faith to believe this. And, and that's why we just keep stepping out, stepping out, stepping out, praying for people all the time, praying for miracles all the time. And slowly but surely, we're beginning to catch the hang of this, right? We're getting it. And I believe as time moves on, the body of Christ will be sought out for, for healing. They'll actually, people will come looking for, they should already, but you can't even get our church to believe that God still heals, right? Now, not in this church, hopefully, by God's grace after all these years, but still, in the large segments of the body of Christ in America, um, still many have a problem with miracles or thinking of miracles or maybe discouraged because they prayed one time and they didn't get healed or well or whatever. And it's because you haven't been in that area long enough to really understand. Some of you are still maybe even incensed or mad at God a little bit for not taking care of an issue or whatever. But um, there's a method to God's madness, as it seems sometimes. Why wouldn't you heal me this way or that way, right? God has his timing and ways. Our duty is to keep jumping in the river, keep jumping in the river. You know, we got a whole bunch of river people that have come up at the end of this service. They're river people. They're just ordinary folks. But you can't see it, but they're packing. <laughs> packing miracles, packing. And oh, God is so humble to use muddy river people like this to cause amazing things to happen. And it's offensive to some people. Matter of fact, there are some people, many people, not so much in the, uh, members of our church, 
anymore, but, you know, just think they really haven't been prayed for unless the pastor, you know, prayed for them, which is crazy. I look at him, I say, like, you don't know me, man. I, I mean, I'm nothing compared, I mean, you should see over here and over there, you know. I just, I just sort of bring the mail, you know, and talk about stuff and but all the miracles are in our church, in the body of Christ, and you never know who's got the miracle for you today, which is a beautiful thing because it works out so lovely because God gives grace to the humble. So we need to run away from pride and arrogance as fast as possible, and one of the ways that God does that is He spreads the ministry out among the people. He doesn't focus it on one person. First of all, it's not good for that person because they start thinking of themselves like Superman or something, you know, and it, it pollutes them. It, it makes them a mess. Right? So this river is very important. It's here in the room today. And after this service, we'll have people that will be up in the front. They'll pray for you. But the reason why we do that isn't because this is like a traditional vineyard thing. This is really the heart of getting at what we're seeing in this story. God uses weak things to heal, to deliver, to do, deliver is supernatural. That way, that way, pride and arrogance stays at a minimum, because nothing that cuts the church off from the spirit more than pride and arrogance, right? So he tells him to go jump in the river, right? The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, so I'm serve, I will not accept, well, let me stop right there. Okay, so he stood before him, now I, oh wait, okay, let me get back here. So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God, he stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. Even, and even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Remen to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down the temple of Remen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And it's interesting what, what um, Elisha says. He says, right there, he says, go in peace. It's, it's going to be all right. right. I just think that's such a beautiful story. Because he knew he's going to get in trouble, right? <laughs> And he said, no, I know that there's only, but if I, do you mind if I just, you know, go over there? I have this, you know, I'm a chief of all the armies and everything. And, and uh, I just think it's such a great thing. He just said, go in peace. But the bigger thing here is that uh, this ordinary thing, this, this miracle thing that God wants to spread across the people, you know, our people, and, um, and the way the Lord wants to do it. I just believe this is a message for every single one of us. It's a message for the body of Christ. And uh, it's something that we just need to embrace as a church, that we together corporately are that river, and God wants to do mighty things with us. Now, I just want to just give a couple of passages to help us understand all this and just see it from, you know, this biblical, wonderful uh, point of view. Um, and so, James, uh, we see uh, wonderful verses in James. It says... Uh, See, I think I need to be in uh, James 4, 4 to 6. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? This is why the Scriptures, this is why the scriptures say God opposes the proud, 
but he shows favor to the humble. So this is why it's so important for us to understand uh, that God loves to do things with the weak, right? And that's us. And so he opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And um, if we want to see more miracles and breakthrough, we have to sort of embrace this in a way that maybe uh, we, th- we, not thought, we didn't think possible. And we have to look at each other as uh, people that carry something significant. And we need to encourage one another, exalt one another, and keep encouraging them to move forward and, and not take on airs and, and um, sort of, um, uh, you know, develop sort of hero worship or that kind of thing. It just cuts the Spirit of God off. Now, we're going to have some in our midst that have a uh, beyond average gift in terms of healing. There always are people like that. But I'll tell you what, uh, I've learned in the past that only those people can only get to a certain amount of people. But we can get to a whole bunch of people. So if we're just willing to be used by God, I think it's really important to understand that this is God's intent for the whole body of Christ. And so in our weakness, out there is where the beauty is. It's where the grace is. And I found a long time ago that grace was always in the most poor, desperate situations that you want to face. So if you would like to see miracles and breakthroughs and strength, you need to see it in the context of weakness. So this is why... It's a privilege to share with the poor. It's a privilege to become part and parcel with them, to minister to them, because this is where all the miracles are. The ones that are desperate, the ones that don't have anything, the ones that have gone through really difficult, desperate places. They're the ones that are open, the drug addicted. We have a fair number of those that we deal with all the time. And those that are like that, that's where we need to be spending our time, because God gives grace that way. He exchanges this weakness uh, for strength, right? Second Corinthians uh, chapter... Uh, let's look at Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. So Paul's talking about a story that came. I mean, he actually got sick. He had some kind of messenger of Satan that was tormented him physically. And of course, having prayed for so many people to get well, he asked the Lord to fix it. But look what he said. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's a whole other view of life, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I avoid all of those things right there, like the plague. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with the insults, the hardships, the persecutions. But it's inevitable. And when you're in that space, understand that there's something beyond the something, that God's grace is is sufficient for you. And you might just be equipped by what God does with you to help the next person down the road. It's so much easier to minister what you've experienced, right? And it's one of the reasons why Christians have trials. God's using them to be perfected in the strength of the Lord. And so... If you're struggling with something now, and many of you are physically, whatever, whatever you do, don't let it put you down. Use it as an opportunity to learn something from the Lord. Learn as an opportunity to become stronger for someone else at some later date. And I'll tell you what, I think that shortens the length of your trial even when you learn that lesson, when you come to that space. Not that always like that, but still, there's something you pick up in weakness, and especially for your own you know, healing. And I just want to encourage all of you who have had really difficult times in the past and you've gotten through that 
You know, that's your ammunition to use in the world. Make sure you don't waste your sorrows. Make sure you use that ammunition wherever you can on whoever you can. That's going through the same things. The world is full of trial and full of trouble. It's just that we're always looking for Superman or a super person to do it. And he's looking toward the humble body of Christ. He's looking for victory and strength and weakness. And I think we can do that. And uh, it's been demonstrated here many, many, for many years. But I think we have even more territory to go. And I think we may have many more places to go. I think God's driving us straight into the poor, poorest people of our region, our area, and the world. It's kind of fun on one side and kind of a pain on the other side, especially if you end up going across the earth like I have and ministering in some of those wicked, desperate places and got sick yourself. <laughs> then have to stand up there and release healing to all the other people that are coming in front. <laughs> There's been more than one time I've been sick as a dog standing in front of thousands of people and they're coming up to get healed and I'm not getting nothing, you know. <laughs> and uh, it didn't make any sense, but I learned something. When I step forward, even in that space, I realize that when I'm weak, I'm strong. So at first, it used to really intimidate me. I'm thinking to myself, God, why in the world did you send me here only to have me sick as a dog? I'll remember some of those things so vividly. I got sick in my eyes one time in the Philippines. My eyes were so blood red, I looked like the devil himself. I, I didn't even look in the mirror. It scared me so much. It's this rare kind of conjunctivitis, weird thing. And yet I had to speak. And so I didn't want to... These people were really superstitious, so I didn't want to... So I put sunglasses on when I spoke. <laughs> and it was at night, so I couldn't see anything. I was bumping into the pulpit, you know, I just barely... <laughs> <laughs> and looking back on that, I think that's the funniest. That must have, I mean, that's, I mean, I la that, when I was there, it was like going through hell. But I look back on it, I think that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. You know, I mean, that was hilarious. But the weird part about it is, in that area of the Philippines, there was this uh, horrible conjunctivitis, whatever that thing was in my eyes, going around, and, and uh, dozens of people were getting healed on it out of the, you know, just our, us praying for them. And I'm sitting there, I never got well. For the whole time, people getting healed of all kinds of things, right and left. And I, I just lived off this scripture that <clears throat> there's strength and weakness. I had to go to the military base and get some medicine for God to heal me. <laughs> you know, cut, cut my eyes. And that took a couple of days. I looked like the devil himself. I had to wear, I mean, it was horrible. But I learned and have been learning more and more. I tell you what, uh, <laughs> this is one of those lessons that you can appreciate and return, you know, in the retrospect, but if you're going right in the middle of it, it's not so fun, is it? But I tell you, uh, even when you're not going through something serious, I, I, I do believe this is the blueprint, you know, uh, for God's power. Ordinary people witnessing to ordinary people, not really knowing what they're doing, but maybe they have a testimony, and maybe the person... You know, they're not always looking for your, the accuracy of your report. It's a mistake to think that you have to have every kind of theological things and understand the doctrine of sin and the resurrection and all this before you could go. Matter of fact, I think sometimes if you over-equip, it takes that one part out that in your weakness, you're strong. It takes that part out of you, right? And that's where you're really strong. And so when you get into a situation and you just feel like the most unqualified thing to say to anybody, but you are the most qualified especially if you feel weak and you're depending hard on the Lord. 
Naaman would have paid any price for his healing, but the only payment required for him was humility. And at first he was too proud and self-sufficient to receive the miracle he needed because it didn't look right. Sometimes I think even the people of God fall in this trap. You know, they're going chasing after this person and after that person and this one, and then somebody humble and their church wants to give them a word or pray for them, you know. Hey, I'm going off to the prophet. And this is a horrible thing because strength is in weakness. It calms the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life have come out of these horrible, horrible situations where I didn't feel qualified or in any way connected to God in the sense of being powerful or feeling like I had something, you know, to share. And I venture to say, even with regard to evangelism, I'm not sure that there's anything more important that could happen than a person gets saved, right? But your witness and the way you say it is so important. And sometimes it just feels like, you know, they're not receiving it or there's no way, but our witness out in this community is what makes the world go around. It's what makes the gospel move, right? So I think this is a powerful uh, sermon uh, for for all of us, and it's, it's so important for us uh, to remember. I, I want to go back to Second Kings uh, 5, 10 to 14. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored. You'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. So he's thinking, you know what? I could have got this in, in my church, you know. <laughs> I could have got this anywhere. And then telling him to do these sort of things. And uh, one great thing about the very poor and people that are in weakness, they really don't have a, especially if they run out of options, that makes it pretty easy for you. Because they've run out of options. Everything they tried that was sophisticated, important, and supposed to heal, like hospitals and doctors and specialized people and healing evangelists. And there you are, lowly you, right? But it's just like God. I just want to say this to you more and more. It's just, it's just like God to do this. And then Gehazi, this guy, distorts it. And if we read in Second Kings chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 19 to 27. So he offers him money, you know. He says, you know, how much can I pay for this? This is like, you know, you rented this service and everything, you know. And and the, the prophet says, go in peace. And uh, so he, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, you know, my master is too easy on this guy, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have come to me from, he's lying, from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two bag, the talents of silver and two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants, put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you? This is, uh, I just want you to hear the heart of God here. This is so important. Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence. 
His skin was leprous. It had come white as snow. Now, there's a huge lesson here. So the thing is, I think what God's looking for is a people that are humble enough to carry this. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we might get injured by ourselves, by the way we carry ourselves. And the problem right now that I see is the advent of a video and so much of, of YouTube and things that are so possible. And so what happens is there's a subtle pride. There's something there that's really, really important. I'm not, I'm not diminishing any of that. It's just that it's so important that we don't use, make a business out of this. And sometimes when we get into the, that kind of communication, uh, there's a business side and people are raising money and, and whether they do it that way or do it in meetings or whatever, just got to be careful how we promote ourselves, you know. And there's a fair amount of promotion and even competition. And I think that, um, and I'm not going to pick on any one particular gift, but the one, one thing, but I will say this, there's just a lot of prophetic stuff going on and a lot of stuff that's being promoted and pushed forward, right? And, and um, I just say that I just really like good old humble prophecy. And when it's too, you know, visual, too competitive, it's almost like we have competing prophets and people saying this and people chasing after that and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wait a minute. Uh, I think probably we could probably hear God's voice for what to do, what we're supposed to do. I think it's more accurate. I think it's more powerful. And I think just be careful how you, in this video age, how how we pursue things. Because one way that we do, because of the way that, you know, video is working right now, it's so easy to publicize anything or anybody. And then also, when it, if it appears on TV or you look and find, see how many followers or whatever, then we assume that that person is okay and that they have the word of the Lord, and they must be strong because they've got 50,000 people showing. These must be important people. Well, just because they have that many people doesn't mean they're not deceived. So you have to still watch and know these people. and get to, You know what I mean? And the love of money pollutes so much, and, um, and the competition between pastors and leaders and whole movements and growth. So we want to carry this supernaturalness, but could I just say that donkeys carry this kind of weight better? Like then, like these nice horses, right? You know, we're just delivering the mail, as John Wimber used to say. And this is why I love the vineyard so much, and I loved him so much, because as the anointing began to grow in the vineyards so much more powerfully, one thing we began to discover is these people were just sort of being made heroes by the other people, and and uh, John just tried as best he could. He kept saying, everybody plays, everybody plays, everybody plays, because he could see it and what it was doing to the people that were being elevated. You know, and even with regard to worship, it's the same thing. And, uh, you know, just the, there's nothing more lovely than a local church with the beautiful presence of God visiting on them with ordinary musicians and ordinary people and ordinary pastors and the spirit and the supernaturalness of God shows up so wonderfully. And I think that they should give us great hope. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's on video and all that or whatever is bad or negative. I just say be careful because I think that um, there's a lot of things that are being promoted, a lot of things being said, and they, they, you have to weigh those and be, be careful because because they're on media, they get a certain amount of authority behind them because just like we do with all kinds of things, you know, that, have, that are on the media. I think one thing we've discovered about the media, which regard what place or how it appears or whatever, we found out the media is not always accurate. The media is not always nice. The media, I mean, 
And I think one great service has been done to the body of Christ is we're realizing, whoa, some people have some biases here. Pe people have some investments in saying things in just a certain sort of way. That everything that comes across you powerfully and is strong enough to come on the media is good, right? Right? So this is such a beautiful example. Go wash in a river. <laughs> and this guy we just read about, you know, his assistants thinking, you know, wait a minute. This guy got it for free. There are blood-sucking enemies. We should at least get some money or some value out of this. And so he goes and tries to get this reward, but evidently uh, God didn't quite appreciate it that much, right? So as we look through the scriptures, I want to just read through a few, all right? So here in your outline, if you go down to point C, examples of weakness in God's strength, salvation, and prayer in the Bible, right? So let's go to uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. They came to, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and, the disciples, and his disciples together, the large crowd, were leaving the city. A, a blind man, Barnabas, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. I love this story so much. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's so meaningful to me because I think it's uh, such a picture of the way the kingdom works, both in terms of what we're supposed to do and what God likes to do. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> but the people rebuked him, can you believe it, and told him to be quiet. I guess they had this view that only the sophisticated, faithful people were supposed to get a miracle, and that if you had this disease, you were probably cursed. You weren't a special person. You were probably an evil person. We have our own versions of that, by the way. Just let the Lord search your heart on that one a little bit. <laughs> he told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, the man of God's not, a, he's important. He's too important for you. By the way, you probably sinned and you're cursed. You, this is the reason why you're the way you are. And this is something I love about the vineyard, the way that God came to us. You know, mercy, mercy ministries, love, compassion. These were the things that are important, have been important to our forefathers and the Lord. You know, and uh, place my feet upon a rock, put a new song in my heart, oh God, oh Lord, have mercy on me. I just butchered that song. That was horrible. But <laughs> nevertheless, you got the idea, right? But the thing is, we in the vineyard not only sing it, but we believe it. At least I think most of us believe it. I think we do. Have mercy, Lord. Put a new song in my heart. And so when we do signs and wonders and miracles, we do it with humility and grace. But this humility and grace, there's a strategy to this. I don't do this. I'm not just talking about this so we'll see less. I'm talking about this so we'll see more healing, more power. Then they came to Jericho. Jesus and his disciples together, a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard there was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's for instructive in itself. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called him to the blind man, Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And then here's, does Jesus like humility or what? Or what? Here's this blind guy. And Jesus asked him this question. You would think it would be a little bit offensive, right? He was testing him. He tested his heart. What do you want me to do for you? Now, obviously, the guy's screaming, yelling, he's blind, trying to find a way to Jesus, right? Jesus knows full well what's wrong with him. 
But he wanted him to hear him say it. He wanted to hear him say it. He wanted him to operate in his own faith. I want to see. I think that far more emphasis should be put on us as the ones that need to be healed than on the ones that are the healers. There's so much more that happens in your faith. So much more that happens on your end. Just being clear with our... I, I, you know, obviously, he could have been offended. I mean, he could have said, well, can't you see? And he didn't, he didn't do that. He said, I, I just want to see. Go, he said. Your faith has healed you. What a significant phrase. Your faith has healed you. You think, well, be healed. Wave my hand. No, he said, your faith has healed you. You see how important this is, victory and strength and weakness? His faith in all his weakness. When everybody's telling him no, you're not important. You're blind because you're cursed, because you're, because you're, you deserve it, right? Your faith has healed you. You have the faith to shout out, to scream out. You would not take no for an answer. You made these people bring you to me. <laughs> Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And that followed Jesus along the road, I think, was probably something that then he began to do pretty much for the rest of his life, right? Look at Luke 18, 1 to 18. Excuse me, 1 to uh, 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. In a certain village, there was a judge, a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Was that legal? Man, she must have been pretty violent. And the, <laughs> and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on the earth. Grant me justice against my adversary. They keep calling, calling. Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. So evidently, God likes to be bothered. And that in itself is an incredible revelation, I think. God wants to be bothered. God wants you to talk to him. God wants you to be aware, right? He wants, to, he wants you to, to pursue him. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses... 13 to 16. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So God's mind and his heart is on us who humble themselves and cry out and seek his face and ask God to change the heavens, change the weather for heaven's sake. Remember that time we were all out there trying to change the drought and we're gathering with those churches on the day of prayer? It was a great day, wasn't it? It hadn't rained in months and we were all out there. Remember that? <laughs> And so we were praying for all kinds of things. And then I said, I was one of the people on the thing, and I just casually just said, you know, Lord, if you wouldn't mind, please bring rain like that. Well, by the time the meeting ended, for the first time in months, as we were just ending the meeting, the rain began to fall. 
it began to fall. And they had to hurry, get everything in the vibe. Do you remember that? It was the most astounding thing, you know. And, and uh, it wasn't because of me. It was because all of us were out there. But it was amazing. The Lord brought the rain. Now, the thing is, you could have thought, oh, that's just a coincidence. There was no coincidence. It was just amazing. And everybody in that meeting, as they're running for cover, knew it. They knew it, right? So these are not just stories for way back when. They're stories for now, for the people of God, for all of us to grab a hold of. It was all of us there praying that day and humbling ourselves before the Lord. There'll be another national day of prayer. What I can't figure about you guys is you don't have much respect for the national day of prayer. I'm just going to correct you a little bit. Because we had our last day, and if there was ever a day when the people of God need to gather together in one place and cry out for our nation, it's on a national day of prayer when everybody else is doing it. So the next day, time the national day of prayer comes, come and pray with us. Oh, it's weak. Oh, I got things to do. Do you really have many more things to do than when the entire body of Christ is gathering to pray? Do you have that many more things that you need to be doing than that, that particular thing? If you don't think that your prayer means anything and that any old prayer will do, that's one thing. But if you really believe that God does things in response to your prayers, when we have a national day of prayer, let's all make sure that we come. And let's just stand side by side with all the other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and ask God to do something incredible. Because I think in the light of this trouble that we're in, this is no... We haven't been here before, Toto. (laughs) This is not... This is different. We're not in Kansas anymore. Do you understand? The days we live in are serious days. They're end time days. Oh, goody, the end times. Well, have you looked in the book what the end times has? And I don't know whether we'll be raptured out before the worst comes or not. But either way, we're living very dangerous times, at the least for our nation and for our ad. So this gathering together, like my name, will humble themselves. That's the main part, I think. It's not that you pray so well or you look, I don't know what to say or whatever. It's just the whole thing of people humbling themselves and seeking God's face and saying, God, I'm sorry for my part in this and things I've done. And please forgive us and please heal our land. Now, this is the promise. My ears will be open. My my eyes will be open. My ears will be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. He's talking about the Old Testament temple where God's name was. But where's the New Testament table, uh, temple? Two or three gather together. That's where he is. And then when a bunch of people like this together, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is why we can ask for amazing things. And we may feel weak in it. We may feel not strong enough. You know, I know that people are standing up here and they're going to be praying for people. They don't feel very strong. Good. That's why you should be up here all the more. And maybe you don't feel so strong about them. You know, I've seen people like jump over people, a towel, single bound, trying to get to me to pray for them. And I'm thinking to myself, the person you just jumped over probably sees more miracles than I ever do. Why did you jump over him to get to me? This is silly. And by the way, the body of Christ is varied, and never, never, not everybody has the same gift. And if these people, like, will be up here enough to pray for people, that means they have more than a casual interest, which usually means if they have, if you have a casual, more than a casual interest, that means that they've seen more than their share of people healed. That's why they're armed and dangerous, right? Because they do this a lot. They do this a lot, right? And because they like it. But why would you like something that you constantly fail at? Well, they see a couple of healings here and there, and they thought, I'm hooked. I'm going to do this for a long time. This is really a lot of fun, right? So our, our ministers, our people that pray for each other, humble people, 
praying for one another, many times they have the answer, like this little girl to her master, why don't you go see the prophet in Israel? I heard he has some, a little girl. And the guy had humility enough to go, hmm, maybe I should try that. Matter of fact, here's a great thing about being the kind of body that we are and kind of people we are. Right now, the desperation level in our communities is riven, <laughs> it's this high. So when people are desperate, I'm telling you, this is where God's in. When people are desperate, if they're all you know, satisfied and healthy and doing well, but I don't think, I know very many people that feel really great about everything right now. Our government, the, the, the mess that's happening all around us, the, the diseases, the whole thing. So the world's a little shaky. It's the perfect time. Hey, why don't you just go to the church down the street? I hear that they pray for the sick. I hear that they do things for the poor and the weak. Why don't you go down there? Right? And I'll tell you what, I'm finding more and more people walking in here, maybe some of you did today, that, are, that, that know about us from a friend or a neighbor, and they're just in desperate place. And they're hoping for some sort of miracle. The question is, are we going to leave that to everybody else, or are we going to become walking miracle workers ourselves? So we look at Roman numeral two, the lessons of direct encounter with God. And the first thing is, we need to receive the Holy Spirit. We ourselves need to be faithful receivers. When I come to church, that's all I do. I just think of myself first and foremost. I, you know, I have to speak and all that, but I first and foremost come to receive something. It's hard to give away something you haven't received, right? So John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Spirit. You'll be You'll be receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, the Spirit just didn't do that in Acts. He keeps doing it. It's the template for what He's doing today. And so we see the beginning of the church. It's interesting. Power comes on them, and, and uh, people are hearing them doing supernatural things, speaking their own languages. The world longs for this. Matter of fact, the world's set up for it now more than ever before because of the counterfeit, the witchcraft, and all the other crazy stuff that's going on, right? <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is we shouldn't, like be afraid of this, but it's going to be a little weird. See, it's important for us, if we're going to live in revival, to be in revival ourselves. But again, we see this story. It's not going to be like you think. He didn't want to go dip in the muddy Jordan. He thought, that's not where the miracle is. But the miracle is with the ordinary people. And you know what? And the thing is, it was nasty in that river. It was not appealing, but we have to understand. In the early church, look what God does. It's just so instructive. The very first time the Spirit comes, the very first time, guess what? These people are not drunk as you suppose. That's what he had to say. In the very first church, the very first movement of God on the earth, the very beginning of the church, the people are looking at them and thinking, these people are drunk. Now, I don't know if I were God, I would have started the church like that. I would have had pamphlets and flyers explaining everything, you know. Now, if something a little weird happens, here you go, you know, or I'd have done something, you know. And Peter says, well... They can't be drunk. I know they look like it, but it's only nine in the morning. <laughs> but this is prophesying something. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. This is what's happening now. Even in my service, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. And he wasn't apologizing at all, but they look drunk. I mean, I think I could handle Isaiah or Jeremiah speaking, but why do all these people have to look drunk? And I don't think Peter had a really good example. He just said, well, this is the spirit. Take it or leave it. You know, this is it, you know. And those that stayed, I'm glad they did. Because they got saved too. And that was God's plan all along. Isn't that right? And we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and then 14 to 18. Look what he says. 
In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's you and me. That's us. That's us. So direct revival happens with us, Amen. all of us. And you see these heroes begin to emerge in the story that we see Bible characters. But these people are ordinary people like us, right? And that's what was so offensive to the Pharisees. They hated them. Because they're just ordinary farmers and workmen and laborers. They weren't anybody special. And they specialized in being special. Sometimes the church does that. We specialize in having just the right building, just the right facility, just the right this, just the right that. And this is one thing I appreciate about our movement from the beginning. It, you know, I think with John Wimber having a, a career in music and having a career, in, he'd seen enough of this show stuff. And so then he's got this miracle stuff on his hands that he's trying to figure out how it could easily, he's, he could see how it could easily turn into another sideshow. And he's trying as best he can, and he spent his whole life doing that, just dialing it down, dialing it down, dialing it down, because he was afraid of where we would go if that happened. He was afraid if we got into that space, that showy space. And by the way, it's amplified so much because of YouTube and other ways, and there's all this stuff, and, and, and this, you know, and it's not all good. It's showy, and it's, you know, and, and the way our young people are learning about uh, if it doesn't have the right kind of video and the right kind of ambience, I mean, most of the miracles I've ever seen happen on the back porch of somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And I'm almost blinded by this disease and people all around me are getting healed. You know? And then I come back and <laughs> get some stuff in my eyes and, and I just see it. And, and, and so so miracles are so weird. Uh, so like in India, we were doing stuff and we'd all line up along the fence and thousands of people be coming up. And, and I watched this guy coming up with a cane, you know, and he's blind as a bat. He can't see. And people keep redirecting him to the fence. He can't see anything, right? And finally they got into the fence, but he landed right where I was, right? No, no, no. He didn't land where I was. Like five people down from me. And I'm watching him come all the way <laughs> like that. And he goes over there. And, uh, and so a person prayed for him. And then I watch him just walk back. He doesn't need his cane or anything. And I asked the person, I went over there, I said, what happened to that guy? And he said, well, he was blind. I said, you prayed for him? Yeah. Yeah, he's well, he can see. And I said, I can see that. I saw him come up. You mean he can see his eyes? Yeah, he said he, he said he was healed. Well, like, what, didn't you jump up? Or I don't know what to do. He just said, I, I can see now, bye. That's all he did. And he walked away. <laughs> and I thought, Oh man, go get that guy. Get an interview, anything, you know. But but he just disappeared in the crowd, and that was it. And <clears throat> part of that is because the great thing about the world out there is they have a supernatural worldview, so they don't think of this. They don't worship like th in that sort of sense, you know. They they understand and they res you know, but but they don't. They're not so surprised. And they've been working on demon power so long, and then they get in bondage from the very miracle they get, right? So even miracles aren't necessarily great for them. It comes from a demonic source because the enemy has this way of hooking them, right? But from God, they're not surprised at miracles. They just maybe get surprised that actually there's this other God named Jesus who does it, right? And that's our lesson, and that's something that we need to be delivering to the whole world. I want to just dip down to three on your outline, B3. Hunger and humility will carry to God every time. And uh, I was just reviewing my life, 
And uh, I just tell you, I'm learning this lesson more and more. And now I'm trying to apply it and make sure I walk in this in the future, right? But I was raised in a Presbyterian church. And I got baptized in the Spirit because I was so hungry. It just happened that they let some rogue guy in there get into a conference the Presbyterians were holding. Nobody wanted to go from my church. They were all terrified. And I walked into this room. There were like 15 people in there. And I got baptized in the Spirit. I was speaking in tongues. At first, I didn't get anything because I thought, this is stupid. This is crazy. Where are my friends? Nobody else is here. What's going on here, right? And they warned me, don't go to that place. I don't think that guy's safe, right? You've heard me tell a testimony, but if you look at B3, hunger and humility will carry to God every time. But I was so hungry, and I was also so bored with this thing. This was like nothing I wanted to be a part of, this old churchianity, the Vietnam War discussion, whatever. What in the world? And I'm sitting there as this teenager, and God got me just because I was in the room. That's it. And I wanted something. I was looking for something different. That's how I got baptized in the Spirit. Started speaking in tongues, you know, and like, and from that point, I, I realized more and more that uh, those places that I began to seek out, the humble places, the places where nobody else would, like the official Christians wouldn't go, I, I started going all those places, right? And when I got to the vineyard, I, I, I had a whole agenda that I thought God wanted me to do, right? And every time that I actually went someplace that I didn't want to go with the vineyard, I ended up getting whacked by the Spirit, right? So one of the biggest places was to a house of a guy sitting over there. I was trying to get to the Angels baseball game as best I could with my friend. But something deep inside of me says, you probably should go over his house. And I said to God, I'm a pastor. I don't need to go to a newcomer's thing. I already know the Lord. I mean, I'm fine, you know. I'm not even sure if I'm even going to be a part of this church or whatever. But something inside of me says, you should go there. Don't go to the baseball game. Don't go see the angels play. But God, I'm not saying, but God, the angels are playing, da-da-da-da, and my friends are running out of town, da-da-da-da. And so I went anyway. And he made fun of me the whole way. He started, well, you're going, da-da-da-da. He's laughing. He's going to go with his other friends and everything. And, and that's where I got whacked by the Spirit so heavy. That's where I thought, hmm, maybe I belong in the vineyard after all. And that space that I made just to go that place, which I thought I was too whatever to go to, was the place that opened the door, and one thing that led another, and this is where I am right now. One simple, dumb little choice, humble choice, wasn't that took that much humility. It's just that I was like proud. I just wanted to go another way. I didn't know what I was doing. I was irritable. I didn't know what the Lord wanted to do for me. And then it happened again and again. And the supernatural phenomena began to heal, uh, fall on me, and I was humiliated. I was falling on the floor for no apparent reason. I was crying all the time. I felt like a big baby. All of this was so humiliating to me, you know. I didn't want to do that at all. But when the Spirit comes, I got so addicted to the Spirit, I just became like a drunk, you know. I just couldn't. It was like I had been starved to death. God gives grace to the humble. There's victory and strength and weakness. And when Toronto and all that came along, I just saw more of the same. It's so weak and people are so crazy. And look at people coming and da 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 and I'm just in the middle of it, like, uh, and I got this taste for God. I thought, you know what? I don't care. This tastes good. This is God. And boy, it sure is wearing some really cl weird clothes. And I'm not sure what everybody thinks about this, but I don't care. All I know is I found water, and I'm going to drink, right? I think when you just want water, and you're not so picky, I think this is when you begin to really see God move, right? Just come to the water, right? And so many other things. 
um, this thing, I still haven't, I'm still coping with this. Miracle after miracle happens like 50 feet from here, right across on the other side of that wall, every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Healings, deliverances, crazy things. That's where we're feeding people. I still can't make heads or tails of it because I still get in this place, like what we're talking about here, you know. I thought he would just wave his hand over me, you know. I thought he would just... <laughs> Instead, the miracles are all happening out there. They're happening in the warehouse. They're happening where you feed people. They're happening... All these places that we go that are humble, this is where all the miracles happen, even here. We don't have to help the poor. We get to. If you want to experience miracles, start dealing with the weakest, most nasty situation you've ever seen, and you'll see God move. There are people alive that should be dead right now because we just took our time to spend time with them and help them and have mercy on them. That's why I love the DNA code of our whole movement. It's just mercy. Worship and mercy. That's how God identifies us. And we don't always do a great job. I'm not saying that we're always doing a great job of this. I'm just saying this is where the water is. Victory and strength and weakness. Victory, strength, and weakness. The only reason why... I started the warehouse was because I always wanted to do something like that. I just didn't know. I didn't. I didn't like the cost. I thought, well, I got this whole warehouse, and I don't want to do something like. I mean, I want something I can generate money out of. That's too expensive. That's a lot of space. And then uh, I had that experience with Mother Teresa. You know, I'm looking at this devastation. I'm. I've never been. In, I've never been closer to hell than I was when I went to Calcutta. And I've been there many times, but this time uh, where she was ministering, it was like I was on the doorstep of hell. As romantic as you want to be about where Mother Teresa is and all this whole thing, and all, oh my gosh. And you see these people cleaning wounds and doing this thing for the poor and everything. And it's just like the desperate, you know, and I almost got sick just walking through the place. And then I had the audacity to just uh, say I wanted to see Mother Teresa, which, you know, I didn't think I had a prayer. And the reason why I wanted to see her is because I wasn't going to invite her to something, right? But she said something, as you've heard me say many, many times, but it has something to it in this victory and strength and weakness. She said, look, see, and do something. She says, that's what I would do with your life if I were you, young man, right? So I went out thinking, okay, fine. Then I went out. But that word is ringing, bang, bang, bang in my, in my head. It still rings in there, right? which gave me the courage, actually, to in 07, when the recession happened, to, to, to open the door for what now exists. You guys, we are some of the most privileged in the world, people in the world, to be able to minister to the poor the way we do. It's so much fun. It's so good. It's the best. And I, you know why I got that? I got it because the vineyard was interested. And I got it because of my experience overseas. I got infected with something there. But I got it because the vineyard was interested in that. The Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, they were interested. They wanted to, this is part of their main thing, right? And that 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 um, uh, statue, I'll tell you, I'm going to go swipe that statue one of these days in the front of the, I shouldn't probably say that. Somebody, somebody might actually swipe it and they'll blame it on me. But anyway, it's the statue in the front of the, the old, you know, Anaheim Vineyard where the guy's washing somebody's feet. Oh, we do that. We're going to see so much grace on our own head. We're going to see strength. It's where it all is, right? And uh, all the other things. So let's get Roman numeral three. God solves our problems and brings us in a deeper relationship with him at the same time. He is always better than we think. So let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll try to wind this down here a little bit. 
Then Naaman and his, all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. This is the reason why we need to humble ourselves and serve our community. We want them to be able to say, Wow, I've experienced God. Now I know there's no one like Jesus in the whole world. The prophet answered, Surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. He refused. If you will not, said Naaman, he said, Please, would you please give your servant, give me some little earth so I could take it and just make a little offering to the Lord. But then he says this, which I really like. And this is how generous guys is. But, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Remen to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down on the temple of Remen, I'm not really doing that. Could you, would that be okay? Uh, may the Lord forgive your servant for this, because I know there's only one God, and he's not there, right? You know, I just think to myself, wow, what would you say? And he says, brother, go in peace. You're going to be okay, right? Now, Gehazi goes after and chases after him, right? And he gets in big trouble for doing that, right? Because this thing isn't about that visibility, that money, that thing, right? It's about something else, right? Something so much deeper, it's so much more wonderful, right? It's about the statement God wants to make to the whole world, and he wants to do it in our weakness, not in our strength. And sometimes I'm all for politics. I'm all for making sure we are wise with our choices, but I think in the end, our strength is going to be in our weakness. Our strength is going to be in willing to minister to the most lowly people. And lowly people are not always people with no money. Lowly people sometimes are people directly involved in witchcraft and all kinds of crazy cults and everything. They're lowly because they don't know any better, right? They're our target audience, no matter how much money they have, right? And we think we cannot, we're not anointed or able. We think we haven't studied enough to be able to minister to someone like that. You know, and uh, we are. Deeper question becomes whether we are married to God for His provision or because we love Him. God is continually healing our heart in this matter. So I just want to say that He always is healing us to help us understand that uh, He wants our heart, right? And and there are miracles and signs and wonders, but He's always healing us and and trying to help us understand. And I just want to read two more passages. And by the way, as I'm turning this passage, Bruce just walked in the door, and I believe that after this service, I'm not sure I saw it advertised, but if anybody's interested in the School of Ministry that we have every year, you can follow him. Right, Bruce? Bruce, are you back there? Am I seeing? Right? So you just follow that man in orange if you want to come. We have it all year long, and, and uh, we do this. In, and by the way, uh, Bruce, I just want to thank you for all the years you've spent just helping people. And... Uh, And uh, I love it so much because uh, through the years, it's been very, very humble. You know, you think of all the other schools of ministry that are around and all the great things that are going on and everything. Uh, but he's stewarded this humble little school of ministry, and, it, and it's still as humble in the sense of how many we have and how we uh, advertise it. But it's become extremely powerful, life-changing. And then the Lord's brought us some of the most amazing guest speakers. I never would have believed they would actually show up here. And they just minister just to a handful of people, and it's just so wonderful, right? And then they, we get the overflow when they come and minister to us. So I just highly recommend, if you feel led or you want to check it out, we have the School of Ministry will be starting up here pretty soon that we have. And it's, it's humble, 
but affordable and also very possible and easy to get to. There's your advertisement, Bruce. Okay, now back to my message. And it's more than an advertisement. I tell you, I am so blessed by the people that have come out of that. I, I'm looking at you all around the room. And it's been such a, a powerful change in a lot of people's lives. And I like the way we do it. It's just so humble and so good, but so powerful at the same time. And the level of people that are getting to come to us is so high. I just never dreamed they would even like even come near us, but they're coming more and more, right? And, uh, and we have Eddie Purick over there equipping in the Father's love, which, by the way, you, you can't get anything more wonderful than the Father's love. If you, thought about, you, thought, you knew about the Father's love, uh, come to one of our things that we do, our classes, or come to, to the time when they're doing the Father's love at the School of Ministry. It's just very, very powerful, wonderful. Now, I'm trying to land this plane, so I'm on my last thing here, right? So look at B there, 3B. Our pain makes us vulnerable to God, and God makes himself vulnerable to us. And uh, so I I love that whole uh, thing that I've been talking about. But this last point, the deeper question becomes whether we are married to God for his provision or because we love him. God is continually healing our heart in this matter. Matthew 6, 25 and 27. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is it not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or sow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So Lord, I just take you, Father, and I just thank you that no matter what we're going through today, I just pray for simple provision. Give us this day our daily bread. As we are in this house of prayer, I pray you provide for anyone that needs provision financially, is looking for a job or whatever. And I just thank you, Lord, that you tell us that you're interested. Then he says this, So don't worry, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here it is. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, uh, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then, last is Psalm 32. Why don't we all stand? I'm going to finish on this. Have the musicians come. I'm just going to pray this as a promise over all of us. If I could have the ministry team come up that I was talking about, I think in light of my message, I think we're going to see more than our average number of miracles up here. And I just want to say I value and thank you so much for you that pray for people and just stand and spend your time doing it. Thank you so much. I just really appreciate it. Let's give them a hand. Just help thank them. Thank them. We just thank you for your willingness to stand up here. There'll be more that will come as we go. Just come up here and stand up here because we're going to pray for people here. Victory and strength and weakness. I can't think of a better day to get healed than what I've preached on today and what I've said today. And um, I just think some of you may just find the miracle you're looking for just as a simple step of faith to come up here and and we'll just pray for you, okay? And uh, by the way, if you stand in front of me, you guys on the next team, you're not in the camera. You're okay. (laughs) 
I've been noticing in our, since we got cameras, I've been noticing certain things that people do, and certain people won't sit in certain places because they're afraid that the camera that's coming over is going to catch the back of their head or something. So whole rows stay empty, you know, wherever the camera. So now we're, we've managed to get over that pretty much. So, all right, let me finish with this verse. Psalm 32, verses 6 to 11. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Today may be a day when you're found. God may be found, meaning this may be the day for your miracle, right? This may be the time. One of these humble people praying for you may be the day of your miracle. I don't care how long you've suffered. I don't care how long the pain's been. I don't care what you've been through with the doctors. I just think in lieu of this message, there's something special today, I think, you may just encounter just a wonderful, beautiful miracle. You've been worried to death over cancer or over some pain that you have in your body. Why don't you try the body of Christ today and see what happens? Why don't you just give it a shot? Something you're worried about with your job, family. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. This is a moment where the body of Christ is gathered and you can be found in this place. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. I declare that over every person. It feels like they're being swallowed. In the live stream, I know that I prayed for a young girl that's really suffering from cancer. If you're watching today, may the Lord bless you. May the waters not reach you, though the tide seems so high, it feels like it's going to swallow you. May the Lord heal you and deliver you as you watch today. May God's grace be on you. May God have mercy on you. I know you're in that living room just laid out there and you've just been there for days. May God have mercy on you right now. Lord, I just pray for her right now, wherever she's seeing this, whenever, Lord. I declare to you and to anybody else that's sick today that all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. And I declare today's a found day. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach you. Whatever's trying to swallow you, I declare it will not reach you. I declare a different result. You are my hiding place. Lord, we hide to you in, in you today, in your church, with your people. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Sometimes I think of the band and the music. It's more than just music. These songs, as you hear them, the reason why they edify and encourage your spirit so much is they're songs of deliverance. They're songs that are being declared and they deliver your soul. They make you feel good on the inside because you're actually being delivered from evil. And evil spirits hate this stuff. They hate worship. They hate it. And they lift off of you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Lord, anybody that needs instruction, I pray you would show them in the next today and all through the next several weeks. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I declare the counsel of the Lord with his loving eye on you today. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love I don't care who you are or where you're at today. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds you, surrounds the one who trusts in Him. Rejoice the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now, Lord, I just ask you today that you would deliver us from evil. And though we feel weak and don't feel strong, Lord, we don't feel powerful at all, I pray as we pray for people and as they come today, I pray you deliver them. And whether you're in the live stream, seeing this at a much later date, may you bow your head. May you just ask someone in the room maybe to pray for you. 
or just bow your head before heaven while we're doing worship. And may God get you in the live stream. May God get you whatever hour you're watching this program. May God get you. May God deliver you. May God have mercy on you. I pray for the merciful hand on God of God on anybody that's looking in today on their television or on their video. However they're looking, Lord. And anybody in this room that just needs a miracle today, I pray, God, you'd find them right in their seat. Find them when they come up and get prayer. Find them, Lord. And I pray, God, you'd deliver them from evil. I pray, Lord, there'd be victory and strength in our weakness. And as we come up here weekly, I pray powerfully you deliver us, not only over sickness or illness, but any circumstances you need prayer about. You can come. We'll pray about anything. Whatever it is, your finances, your job, just come. And let the Lord just come. And be weak for a moment. And let the strength of the Lord come and the strength of the prayers of the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.